Hello. Welcome to Cherry Beckert's GovCom podcast, where we discuss current government contracting trends, compliance matters, and best practices to guide federal contractors forward. I'm Eric Poppy, Senior Manager within Cherry Beckert's Government Contract Services team. And with me today is Javier Diaz, a manager on our team and former GCA auditor. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about common estimating methodologies that are accepted by the government and we've seen accepted by the government yep. when putting together a cost proposal. Um, and so first, Javi, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So um, this is a topic that seems to pop up a lot, especially uh, and can become a pain point, especially if you are going through a cost proposal audit yep. um, or if you're a subcontractor to a prime and they're doing a cost reasonableness assessment yep, or yep. you know different types of cost and price analysis yep. so we thought this subject matter would be something that kind of hits home for everyone yes. and um, you know it, this becomes a really this can be very important depending on the type of contract the size and the agency that you're working for yep. so you know overall when you are helping a company put together a proposal um, what for let's just start with direct labor. Let's kind of go down the fifteen-two table. Okay. Um, it, that is outlined in part fifteen of the FAR for contract by negotiation and those different cost elements. You know, just starting with direct labor. What do you see as an acceptable um, s- acceptable support when putting together that cost element? Well, as far as labor, um, most contractors, if they're submitting a proposal, it's for uh, type of work or an industry that they're already uh, working in. So they already have uh, their their basis of estimate, which would be their current employees. Um, it'd be taking historical information and um, uh, figuring out uh, how much you're paying on average by labor category and uh, in- including those averages for your estimating, right? Um, but we have run into situations where there are companies that are either moving to a new uh, industry or moving to a new geographical area where they wouldn't have historical information. For these cases, they should use um, uh, salary indexes. So uh, there's a couple that we use, um, uh, ERI being one of them. Uh, you can go in there, uh, uh, include the information of the type of, of position or, or labor category that you're looking for and the specific uh, area or geographical area in the United States and it'll um, spit out the, uh, uh, the salary information based on years of experience uh, on uh, and things of education education correct so um, the other thing uh, that falls into labor would be uh, your escalation uh, year to year how much do you escalate well if you have historical information then you know how much you're increasing your your wages to your employees you can use that um, to come up with your uh, labor escalation rate what about hours anything to worry about time um, as far as hours you would use previous work completed okay um, uh, if, if you've worked on a similar project in the past you can use those hours to estimate how, how long it will take you to do. And, and, you, and you know, to that point, helping contractors get through cost proposal reviews, um, we have seen a trend of the government expecting a um, decrement to labor hours or an efficiency being gained. Exactly. If exactly. it's the same people doing this 
And I've also seen it come back the other way of, you know, hours actually upticking because you've had some employee turnover and now you don't have as seasoned employees that would potentially doing this work, mm-hmm. especially for any like large manufacturing jobs that the, you know, the last uh, shipment was five years ago, mm-hmm. you know, those, those people have all potentially left and exactly. now you're training a whole new group of how to make, to get put together this large piece of equipment or exactly. whatever widget. Exactly. Um, one thing to remember there with the learning curves is it, 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 it's kind of like a hockey stick. There's a drastic drop in hours in the beginning, but it kind of levels off after mm-hmm. the, that first period of learning. Just because you can't continue the, to, to gain efficiencies and get to like zero hours. Yep. It's still going to take you time. Yep. So um, that's something to take into consideration and something that... Uh, if the government is pushing on you to decrease hours because of learning curves, if you believe it's uh, it's a good area to kind of hold your ground on if you believe that you're being fair as far as learning curves and efficiencies gained. Okay. So it sounds like making sure that you can show the reasonableness of the, of the potential labor cost to get either by historic, yep. um, by salary band or labor category band, yep. education, mm-hmm. geographical area, yep. And if you can get it back to employment records, that's fantastic, or recent work. If not, showing the surveys that you brought in, yep. and then using as much historic as possible for the labors with the expect with labor hours with the expectation of uh, some type of efficiencies gained um, as part of the labor cost element. Correct. And if you okay. don't have uh, a similar project, make sure you have subject matter experts that can put the estimate together from the ground up okay. and, and be able to support it. Now, what about non-labor costs? What about materials and ODCs and um, those types of costs? I know that we can go down a big rabbit hole and make yes. this podcast you know, two hours talking about this, but generally, non-labor cost, materials, subcontracts, ODCs, what are the types of support that would pass muster? So... Um, DCAA walks in the door for them historicals are always best right so if you've purchased the material in the past then um, show that and use that as as your uh, basis of estimate if not um, use the uh, quotes or or things you would get from your vendors current quotes current quotes within the 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 time frame that you're putting the uh, proposal together okay and um, and provide those. Uh, but when you're looking at these quotes, if there are historicals or, or if there is another um, um, data point, try to look at them and, and see if they seem reasonable to you. Because if they don't seem reasonable to you, they're definitely not going to seem reasonable, reasonable to DCAA. Um, another, another source are uh, uh, estimating databases. So, like, um, if you're in construction, there's a, a RS means you can use a catalog, use catalog prices, um, things of that nature, uh, and all of those are supportable for a DCA audit. And then for escalation on there, you can use indices of some sort. Yes. Um, you know, so, VLS puts out indices yes. um, that you can reference. Um, we use you know, Fred, Fred, which is a, a Federal Reserve economic data. Yep, uh, I know Global Insight has some indices yeah. as well. Yep. Um, so there are different paid-for services that you can also use. Yep, and and I've also seen um, internal escalation rates being calculated by the company. So if 
if you're a manufacturer and you're using a lot of raw uh, materials, uh, you can uh, pretty much put a uh, uh, your own rate together, taking commodities or changes to the commodities into consideration. Um, these are uh, um, sometimes harder to defend with an auditor, but uh, as long as you have all the support in place and are able to explain it, um, then you should be able to get through a DCAA audit. So one thing, just to talk about this for a moment, subcontractor analysis. You know, I feel like every um, opportunity at a conference that I hear DCAA or DCMA talk about, or even contracting officers talk about cost proposals, they, there's, and overall too, there's more and more emphasis being put on subcontractor monitoring. How is that subcontractor's proposal, how is that price, or how is that cost being analyzed to make sure it's reasonable and verifiable? And so, you know, there seems to be a huge push through either price analysis or cost analysis or some type of justification of why you're including that subcontractor's cost and why it's that way as part of your proposal package. Yep. So um, one of the important things is if you can get multiple quotes, Mm -hmm. that would help a lot. Um, And that would help you to defend your position as to why you chose that, that subcontractor. Um, but if you can't get multiple quotes, say it's a very unique widget, then you should perform some type of cost or price yes. analysis yes. Um, to, to help defend that inclusion. Yep, and not only perform the, the analysis, document your analysis. Yes. Because when DCAA comes in through the door, you can jump up and down and say you analyzed it and it was the best price, but if there's uh, or best value, um, but if there's nothing documented as far as your analysis, in DCAA's eyes, it didn't happen. It's a great point, great point. Um, so, you know, we kind of hit the labor. Now we, we just talked about the non-labor aspect. Yep. Yep. So fee is kind of the, you know, putting the bow on top. Yep. Um, actually, indirects. We need to talk about indirects for a second. Yes. So any thoughts on indirect rates and burdens that you might include? So as far as your indirect rates, if you have approved uh, um, rates from the government, then you're golden. You pretty much uh, include those in your proposal. Use those forward pricing rates. Use those forward pricing rates, and and they've been reviewed already. So you're already done with indirect rates. Now what if if a contractor doesn't have approved forward pricing rates? What are your thoughts? So what they would have to uh, provide would be First off, their indirect rate structure. What are their pools? What kind of costs are included in there? What are their bases, right? Um, also, uh, historical rates. Uh, there should be a trend analysis that is uh, completed by the contractor to show what the rates would be in those future years or estimate what they would be in those future years included in the period of performance. Um, if you have that information, that would be a great starting point for your uh, uh, proposal audit. Okay. Um, so then, you know, getting back to fee, which we yep. jumped into a little bit, you know, <laughs> jumped the gun on that. But now, now getting back to fee, you know, typically for fee, um, it's it's great to also go off historical. So if this is a recompete of some sort, the government's definitely going to be looking at, you know, what was the fee the last time around. Mm-hmm. But if not, um, this is one area that there is a decent amount of guidance on trying to uh, defend 
the proposed fee that you're putting in there. Yep. This is something that will get attacked and looked at um, by the government. So 15404-4, that talks about profit analysis. Yep. Um, you could use the weighted guidelines from DFARS yep. as a way to help defend reasonableness. Also, the DFARS, uh, 215-404-71-3, I know that's a lot there, talks about you know select the appropriate profit slash fee range depending on contract types. Mm -hmm. And also, you know there, there are some statutory limits on fee, so make sure that you're checking and make sure that you're underneath that. But this is an area that will get scrutinized, and yes. Um, yes. it is something to, yes. as much documentation and analysis that you have to prove why you think that amount works yes. um, is, is good. Yep. Um, you know, we're, we're getting close to wrapping up the podcast. Any final thoughts on proposal support, estimating practices, and, you know, having good documentation to... I mean, I think the, the, the important part is having the supporting documents to that reconcile to your proposal uh, available for review. Okay. And, and put your best people in front of yeah. the auditor. Seems like we keep coming down back yeah. to that. Put yeah. your best people in front of the auditor. Put them. Well, thank you, Javi. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.